So this evening I would like to talk about calmness, attentiveness, and understanding. In the meditation practice as we begin here on a retreat, our essential emphasis in the meditation is learning how to develop attention. Now, my understanding is that developing attention is actually a very fine art. And like any other art, it requires something more than just practice or time. That in order to develop the quality of attention that is really conducive to understanding, it is also required that we learn how to develop sensitivity, patience, dedication. A quality of love, of commitment, is necessary for developing the art of attention as any other art in our life. We need the willingness to learn. There are very few spiritual disciplines in the world that aren't actually founded upon this essential art of attentiveness. And I think the reasons for that are actually fairly obvious. When we are attentive, truly attentive, intentionally attentive, we are awake. We are present. So attention is actually the bridge between ourselves and the present moment. It is our way of bonding, our way of connecting with the present moment. When we are not attentive in our lives, then often our perception of the world and our perception of ourselves is actually frequently fairly superficial. Now, I'm sure you have experienced this phenomena here and elsewhere in our lives, if you take the example of just going for a walk, you know, and if when you're going for a walk, your, your mind is kind of filled with lots of interesting daydreams and it's kind of flitting around from one thought to another, that it is possible to return from that walk and never actually having seen anything at all, never actually being touched by anything that took place in any of those moments. That instead, that whole walking was through the kind of vagueness of our attention. Our walk was really a kind of backdrop to the chatter of our minds. So attention, developing attentiveness, is intended to bring depth, and to bring a sense of communion, a closeness between ourselves and whatever we are attending to. Developing attention is also intended to bring about integration, inner integration, or oneness of mind and heart and body and also to find that communion, that oneness, between our inner world and the present moment. Developing attentiveness, which involves being fully present, being really present in this moment, is also, in a very real way, what opens us to learning. Because to learn, first we have to connect. Us. We need to be present. Now, on one level, it would seem that it should be very simple or should be very easy to develop a wholehearted attentiveness. When you ever experience a moment in your life when you are fully present and connected and clear and at one, with all things, you hardly ever complain. There is a sense of richness, a sense of depth, a sense of deep inner bonding. And so it would seem that, you know, we would be very attracted 
to be in attentiveness. We would be very fascinated. We would feel very passionate. It would seem logical that we would be about being attentive. What we actually experience is that learning to be attentive is probably one of the most challenging things we ever do in our lives. I mean, on one level, it seems like coming to a retreat is actually a remarkable gift. There is nothing you are asked to do here except to offer a wholehearted attentiveness to yourself in this moment. You know, nobody has to kind of, you know, do any big job here. You know, it's very simple. Offer yourself, offer this moment wholehearted attentiveness. On a retreat, it seems we are offered the opportunity actually to care for our well-being in an undistracted way, to connect deeply. You know, we often do for that very reason, because of our, our entrancement, our fascination, our interest in being awake. We often look very much forward to coming on retreat. And especially if we've been on retreats before, we tend to have you know, lots of very wonderful memories, um, especially about the last day or so of our last retreat. And we think, I can't wait to come on retreat. And we get here, and on the first day often we feel, I'm so fortunate to be here. You know, I'm really so fortunate, so happy I was able to get here. And yet it is so fascinating to see the way in which, you know, after we sit on a cushion for a few hours or a day, Suddenly that same mind that wanted to come here, wanted to get here, wanted to be still, it seems that somehow the same mind can't wait to get off the cushion. It wants to be somewhere else. It has all these other things that it would like to be doing at times. Sometimes when we sit down, we meet, of course, a remarkable capacity of our mind for production. We made out the remarkable capacity of our minds to produce so many stories, so many thoughts, so many fantasies. Imagine if you could count the number of thoughts you have had today. So many. The mind can be so busy. And often in the midst of this busyness, we wonder, why? You know, what is really the problem here? You know, what is the problem I might have with being awake? What is the difficulty I might have to being still? I mean, if someone offered you a choice, you know, would you like to be still and calm and peaceful? Or would you like to be busy and chaotic and confused? Most of us would probably, if we could, choose to be still and calm and peaceful. And so we meet, apparently, the actuality that it seems we don't have this choice, that our mind has another agenda. We have another agenda other than stillness, other than calmness. If we were to show a kind of very interesting movies in here every night. Probably most people would find that they have really no problem with sustaining a wholehearted attention for an hour and a half. Easy. You know? Mind doesn't wander, they're there, they're present. And yet there is something that is extraordinarily challenging about just being with ourselves. About just being alone and just being present in this moment. When we come into the simplicity of a retreat, sometimes what we do meet is actually the the mixed feelings we have, the ambivalence we may actually have about being present. If we look at the difficulties we encounter in being present, then I think we see the challenges we are meeting. For one thing, Simply paying attention, just being attentive, say, to your breath, or just one moment at a time. It seems that there is little gratification to be found in this activity. This is one of the difficulties. 
we should never underestimate the need and the greed of I to be endlessly stimulated and pleased and flattered and busy. And no matter how much we pay attention to our breathing, our breathing actually doesn't seem to offer us a great deal of gratification. You know, you can mess around with your breath a bit, you know. You know, little short breaths or big long breaths, you know, or, you know, look at the pauses between breaths. But when you come right down to it, one breath is actually very much the same as another breath. And it's very limited in terms of the entertainment it is actually offering us. So when we come into this environment where there is not that much stimulation, not that much flattery, not that many things to be busy with or engaged with, when our props that so much support the self are let go of, we are left with what? We are left simply with the kind of bareness, the nakedness of this moment just as it is. We are left with the simplicity of just being with ourselves. Now initially this is at times experienced as a kind of deprivation and so we have hunger. We have hunger, you know, the, the hunger to be busy, the hunger to be doing, the hunger to be distracted, the, the hunger for pleasure that gets centered around fantasy or around food, the hunger for identity that gets again um, satisfied through thoughts, through thoughts, through rehearsing the future, through remembering the past, through having a particular kind of identity in the present. In the absence of many of the props in our lives, we are left often with this kind of hunger, this wanting, you know, wanting which of course creates so much busyness. Another reason why developing attentiveness is so difficult or challenging is that of course in meeting ourselves in this moment, in the simplicity of this moment, one of our first great and profound insights that we come to in meditation is that our illusion of control is exactly that. It is an illusion. This is a very startling revelation for many people in their lives and in meditation that you are actually not very much in control. That you can't actually control your world. You can't even actually control much of what happens in yourself. We see the ways in which our sense of control is threatened on every level. We tell ourselves, you know, oh, we're so lucky, I should be so happy to be here, you know. You know, how rare it is I have this opportunity to do, do a retreat. And all the time we've got these fantasies about lying on a beach, you know, and going on vacation and the people we've left behind. We tell our minds to be still. How many sittings have you begun today? Or how many walkings have you begun? with the intention simply to pay attention to your breath or your body or the moment. And we say, you know, be still mind. Does your mind listen? Does your mind respond? Does your mind obey? No, instead you have may experience having a mind which is endlessly chattering. We say to ourselves, you know, oh, I should, you know, we see ourselves stuck in these repetitive cycles or, or dwelling, and we say to ourselves, oh, I just need to let go. Does it work? No, it doesn't work. So when our sense of control is challenged, we see again, busyness is created. It becomes increasingly difficult just to be still, just to be present. Lastly, of course, when we do stop in our lives, we meet the mind with its habits of wandering and dwelling and preoccupation. This is why the whole nurturing of attentiveness requires more than just practice. It is not just time. Certainly practice is one aspect. 
But the nurturing of attentiveness requires more than just practice. The art of attentiveness does require of us a real patience, a real dedication, a real compassion, a real generosity, a real willingness to learn, to be present, to not be so ensnared by the endless cycles and repetitions of our mind. We need to love to be present. Now, as we persevere, as we do here, persevere on a retreat in developing attention, it is very important to remind ourselves that, you know, we persevere and, you know, we encourage you towards continuity, towards practice, towards sustaining attention. We do this not in order to get rid of all of these struggles. That is not the point in developing attentiveness. Not to get rid or overcome or transcend all of these states of mind which are difficult. We don't do develop attention so we somehow arrive at some lofty special destination where we're not disturbed by scatteredness or by thoughts or by feelings. You know, sometimes people do attempt to use attention as a way of blocking out the difficult. But when we use attention in order to block out the difficult, first of all, it's only very temporary. And the other thing is that it really tends to create this very defensive, armored space. Meditation is not about this. Meditation is learning how to be free in all moments, in all situations. When we learn to meet the difficulties we encounter, when we meet, learn to meet the challenges we encounter with a real spirit of compassion and generosity, when we learn to meet the difficulties we encounter with a real sense of patience and openness to learning, something happens. One thing that happens is that the struggles and the scatteredness and the lack of clarity does begin to dissolve. The other thing that happens at the same time, which is equally significant, is that we deepen in compassion, in patience, in equanimity, in sensitivity. Now this deepening within our consciousness, this deepening of the qualities of consciousness, of steadfastness, of, of commitment, is actually far more significant than having a perfect breathing session. Because we are really seeking here in meditation not so much for a, a qualitative expansion in our experience of the breath. I mean, really, you know, I really don't mind if you have 50 breaths in a row or two breaths in a row. I really, it, it's totally irrelevant. It's actually quite irrelevant. What is truly relevant is that we are learning to meet every moment with an attentiveness that is founded upon sensitivity, upon dedication, upon openness, upon balance. What we are really concerned with in the meditation is deepening the qualities of consciousness that actually bring about transformation in our lives. It is very important to remind ourselves of this because so many people get caught in this trap, especially around attention, you know, of you know, being with their breathing and then wandering and then feeling like they've done something wrong, you know, and that they have to run back to their breath and do it right. But this is not what meditation is about. It is about having such, developing such a sensitivity and alertness and awakeness that we are present in that moment of breathing and we are equally present within our thoughts, within our feelings, within sounds, within sights, within touch. Now, in the beginning of our practice, we see that we actually pay attention to an object. This is what we've been suggesting to you. 
And so far what we have suggested to you mostly is that the breathing is your anchor object in the moment and that you give equal attention to those other objects that your attention is drawn to, whether it is a, a thought or whether it is a sound or whether it is a feeling. But clearly, in the meditation, as we've talked about it so far, or the way in which we've talked about it very much so far, is that the meditation is very much object-centered. We're paying attention to one object at a time. Now, in the beginning, this is, this is not easy because there seem to be so many objects in your consciousness, so many thoughts, so many you know, a thought and then a sound and then a feeling and then a sensation, you can feel very full of objects, you know, and your world can feel very full of objects. And so sometimes in the beginning, it often doesn't feel as if we have a whole lot of clarity about the objects that we're actually attending to. You know, sometimes we wake up and we're aware that we've been thinking, but we're not aware what we've been thinking. Or, or we're aware that there's some kind of mental state going on, but we're not really aware what mental state we've got, what has gone on. We, we're aware that we've wandered, but we're not at all aware at the moment that we began to wander. So at the moment, you know, in the beginning, our sense of the objects that we're experiencing is actually often not very clear. This is fine. The objects that we use in meditation, we use an object as a way of deepening our connection with the moment. That is why we use an object. It deepens our sense of closeness and bonding with the moment. We don't use uh, the breath, say, as an anchor object because one object is more important than another. They are not. We use object as a means of connection, as a means of developing communion. Now, as we continue with developing attention, there are certain changes that do and will take place. One of the changes that takes place as we develop attention is that there is a, begins to be a slowing down of inner activity. We often feel to be nearer to the objects. Notice how often when we begin meditation, we feel like we're watching the breath. And often as the attention deepens, there's a feeling of the breath just breathing itself. We move nearer to the objects. As there's a slowing down inwardly, as the attention develops, there is also less of a sense of uninterrupted busyness. There's actually, there comes to be a perception of beginnings and endings. You know that a thought begins, a thought ends, a sensation begins, a sensation ends. There's often, at times, even a sense of spaces between the thoughts, spaces between arisings and passings. And as, the, as that slowing down happens, we're much more able to see a thought is a thought, a sensation is a sensation, a feeling is a feeling. Now the objects become clearer essentially because the attention is becoming clearer. The objects become calmer also. There's often less of a feeling of just being kind of dragged through an hour by whatever thought process is happening. There becomes less of a feeling of just being pushed and pulled and reacting. The objects actually become calmer because the mind is becoming calmer. So too, as the mind, as the attention becomes calmer, often too, so does the body. Often there's an evening out in what is happening in our body. Often there's less extremes of sensation, of pains, of unpleasant. There is more of a sense of calmness developed within the body. Now this is uh, in an ideal world. This is the way that attention actually organically develops. Um, there comes through that slowing down and through that development of attention definitely some changes in consciousness where there is greater calmness, a greater sense of ease, of being, greater spaciousness, and greater sense of balance. 
Now, I would like to remind you, of course, that there is no standard map for this development. Um, not everyone certainly experiences this in the same way at the same time. For many people, you know, there can be many factors that influence the way in which attention develops. You know, if a person has many unresolved issues in their lives, um, if there's a lack of interest, there are so many factors that can influence the way in which attention develops. So I would not like to imply in any way that I'm presenting you with a model that you should then look out for, you know, that this is how it should be happening for me. This is how it can happen. Now, when, when we do come to a point in our meditation where there is more calmness and more spaciousness, of course we often feel very happy. You know, oh, at last, you know. We feel, oh, I've gone through all the difficult times, I've gone through all the beginner's hindrances, and at last I've come, at last I've arrived. There's often that feeling. And we often, of course, especially after having some days or months or years or whatever of struggling and, and, and trying to be attentive, we often really treasure those times when we actually feel, oh, at last, there's some calmness, there's some spaciousness. A, a word of caution is that this is not the time to retire. Um, there is no doubt that the quiet mind is a, a fairly contented mind. You know, it's often actually a fairly happy mind. And this is often, of course, very attractive to us. But I would like to say that this is certainly not the end of the path. You know, we are not looking here, you know, for a quiet mind, please. You know, this is not the point of meditation. You know, it's not what we're here for. You know, if you only want a quiet mind, I could suggest a trip to the, the chemist. You know, you will find quicker ways of getting a quiet mind and you don't get sore knees doing it. It is not what we are here for. Now, I think sometimes, you know, when you hear us say offering these instructions again and again about, you know, pay attention, you know, perceive the object clearly, I think sometimes it, there can arise that the assumption, in, uh, there can arise the assumption that really the point of meditation is to get better and better at perceiving objects to learn how to be more and more precise in perceiving objects. I think it's sometimes also assumed that there is a direct link between concentration and insight, between quietness and under understanding. Now, it is very understandable, of course, that we really find ourselves longing for quietness in the midst of chaos. But I would say, don't be satisfied. Don't be satisfied with a quiet mind. Don't be satisfied just with concentration. It is enormously helpful, deeply helpful, but it is helpful as a vehicle and not as an end in itself. The point of calmness, the point of developing calmness through attention is not to get better and better at perceiving objects. Calmness changes the consciousness. That is why we give so much attention to developing calmness. It changes the consciousness. When we are calm, calmness of being is a foundation of consciousness which lends itself, which is receptive to deepening in insight. It is not that insight is an automatic product of calmness. But it is simply, I would say, simply to say that understanding and insight comes more easily into an environment of calmness and spaciousness. It's not to say that the chaotic mind has no insight. But sometimes we can be very chaotic in our lives and very confused and very muddled and very busy and have insight. But because when we are very chaotic and busy, 
because our quality of presence, our quality of connection tends to be more superficial. The understandings that arise in the chaotic mind often only make a superficial impression. So they don't necessarily lead to letting go and the insights don't necessarily lead to transformation. This is an important difference to recognize. Calmness allows a deep, a, a deep thinking of understanding. Now, in meditation, in this retreat, we talk a lot and we will talk a lot about deepening in insight, deepening in wisdom. Now, if I was to be totally honest, I would say that actually insight is really easy. It's really easy. In fact, I would probably go so far as to say that everybody here is really insightful. Tons of insight. I would say that everybody here is actually saturated with insight. If you were to sit down here, you know, if we were to do a little bit of an exercise here and, and handed everybody a piece of paper and said, well, would you please write down what it is that leads to suffering and causes pain and causes conflict and causes separation? Well, everyone knows this. This is not news. If we were to ask you then to write down on the same piece of paper, what is it that leads to well-being in your life? What is it that leads to connectedness? What is it that leads to peace? I don't think anybody would be particularly lost for an answer. We could probably write essays on it. If we were to sit, say, sit down and just look a little bit about the passions in your mind, the passions in your life, to cause sorrow or separation, we would be able to write a very long story about how holding and resistance, about how defensiveness, about the ways in which we carry the past into the present. We will be able to write stories about the effect of our sense of self upon openness, uh, of the belief systems that we carry that condition and limit our world. Most of us have all of this information. Now, we wouldn't probably even need an hour. Okay, so this is insight. This is understanding, you know, this is the information we actually need for transformation. Unfortunately, we discover that having this information, although it can be very helpful, it doesn't always seem to do very much. And that is, of course, what is so frustrating for many people. You know, to find yourself in the same places, you know, and say, oh no, here I am again. You know, to find yourself in the same cycles of argument or the same cycles of, of conflict and to know even as they're happening, you know, I have been here a thousand times before. You know, that is sometimes so frustrating to have the intellectual information and yet not have that intellectual information lead to transformation and letting go. The quality of insight that we are really seeking to develop and seeking to connect with in meditation is actually the insight that allows us to let go, to open and to transform. We are actually seeking for a depth of insight that touches us so profoundly that we step out of the cycles of conflict and separation and division. I would say that calmness, calmness of being actually is conducive to fostering that depth of insight that allows us to see and to let go. But calmness is not enough. Calmness is not enough. In the true development of samadhi, oneness, of being, oneness of mind. In the true development of samadhi, we foster together both calmness and clear comprehension. 
Now, this means a little bit more clear comprehension, clear understanding. This means more than just paying attention to an object. It means paying attention to an object, also giving equal attention to our relationship or to the quality of attention that we bring. It means attending to an object and attending to this moment free of dwelling, free of holding, free of resistance. It means attending to this moment without projection, without images, without likes and dislikes. This allows us to see a thought as a thought, a feeling as a feeling, a sensation as a sensation. Attending not only to an object, but to the nature of that object means seeing the beginnings, the endings, the changes. It means being aware of our relationship to when there is a movement towards of holding, the movements of away, of aversion. All of this is part of developing attention. There is not just the object, there is the, the object, the nature of the object, and the relationship to the object. All of this is actually what true attentiveness is comprised of. So there's the object, the nature of the object, in terms of its arising and passing, its impermanence, the appearance it makes, and our relationship to that object. When there is that quality of attentiveness, what happens is that the attentiveness is really in harmony with an object. Now how do you find harmony with an object in meditation? Any of the objects, whether it is the breath, whether it is a thought, whether it's a sensation or a feeling, the very nature of true samadhi is calmness of being. How do you discover calmness of being within the world of objects that we are encountering? very simple. You have no preferences. That's how you find harmony within the world of objects. In this meditation, you have no preferences. Which means that all objects are welcomed equally. We do not decide what we are willing to pay attention to on the basis of what we like and what we don't like. If we have no preferences, that means, you know, certainly an image arises from the past, you're welcome, you know. You, you see a, a thought of anger arise about someone on your team, you're welcome, you know. You see a lovely, happy thought about, arise about the future, it's welcome, and you see it, you see it pass. It means that there are no preferences. All things are welcome within this field of attentiveness which means no holding and no aversion. I would suggest to develop a, to work with a single day, single day of neither likes or dislikes can be a remarkable revelation in terms of how quickly attention develops. You know, if you see so much of the kind of busyness of the mind, it's to do with likes and dislikes. You know, I want to be with this, I don't want to be with that. I want to be with this longer, but this is telling me to be somewhere else. You know, it's likes and dislikes. A calm and clear attentiveness, just one moment at a time, without preferences, it becomes a much simpler path. I'll tell you a story. There was a, a student who went into a Zen monastery, and uh, the rules of the monastery was that a person was allowed to have an interview every two years. And the rest of the time, they were in silence. And the rules of the interview were they, they were only allowed to say two words. <laughs> so this person came to the monastery and they were told to go and do their practice. And they practiced two years in silence and finally came the big moment of going to see the Zen master. And the Zen master said to himself, what do you have to say for yourself, you know, after two years of practice? And the person said, dead hard. <laughs> so then I just said, well, you know, fine, you've got a little bit more work to do here, sent them off here, another two years, another two years went by, no interviews, silence, came again, the big moment of the interview, the Zen master said, so, well, what have you got to say for yourself? 
my partner said, food bad. <laughs> and so Master said, well, you know, you've still got a little bit more to do here and send them away again for another two years. And finally, another two years went by and they came by a big moment again. And the Zen Master says, what have you got to say for yourself? And the student says, I quit. <laughs> and the Zen Master says, well, I'm not surprised you've done nothing but complain since you got here. <laughs> have to learn <laughs> to be present with a remarkable patience, a remarkable willingness to let go of our preferences. Our path becomes much simpler, much more in harmony. If we have hold on to nothing and are not for or against, when we are not burdened by expectations of how things should be, then there comes about much more joy, much more lightness, much more happiness, much more harmony in our meditation because of that happiness, because of that lightness of being. Many our relationships to the practice changes. For one thing, we find if we have no preferences, if we are neither for nor against, then much of the things that arise in our practice, the thoughts, the feelings, the mind states, they arise, but they also very quickly dissolve. And as the calmness really deepens in the practice, there is a sense of that calmness being profound enough and vast enough actually to embrace everything that arises. So there's a calmness of being, thoughts, feelings arise and pass without that calmness and ease of being ever being disturbed. It simply is. It is simply receiving. Now, again, this quality of balance and calmness and ease of being is, again, not particularly something to rest upon. This is, again, not another retirement spot. It is important to remember that the whole purpose of this practice, of course, is wisdom, liberating wisdom. And in looking at what liberating insight is really concerned with, it is clearly not concerned just with objects, but also with the subject. In many ways, in meditation, by giving attention to the objects, as we do, we are actually, in a very mindful way, learning how to be clearer about the subject. Now, it is clear that in meditation, there is a meditator. There is a meditator who develops mindfulness. And the meditator is actually, of course, obviously, the sense of self in another form, in a more refined and more skillful form. However, as long as there is subject, there is an object and there is duality. And liberating insight is really the insight into the emptiness, the transparency of separation. So in this sense, the meditator must also be seen. It's really important to see the way in which the eye creates the world of objects. We cannot overlook, of course, the role of the meditator in meditation and the fact, actually, that the meditator can become very, very happy in meditation because the meditator can certainly has an identity, has a role, has a function, in fact, can have very many successes. And in that delight in those successes, the meditator is often very reluctant to let go of its role and its doing. And sometimes you see the meditator very strongly in meditation when it's taking hold of its successes, you know, and especially with concentration. The meditator sometimes feels really happy, you know, that it can sort of, you know, direct this laser beam of concentration at an object and see it dissolve and this happens and that happens. But I think it's important to appreciate that this, the, the meditator who becomes so gleeful in his meditation, of course, is essentially the same sense of self that creates, uh, accumulates endless impressions and identities and confusions 
in our life. The I that is so happy in doing is sometimes reluctant to let go of that role. Now, a very real question that arises for many people in this practice is, you know, how do they come to insight? You know, we see the need for insight. We've done lots of other things in our lives to try and end suffering. And I think it becomes very clear at some point you know, that wisdom ends suffering, not strategies, not formulas, not techniques, not, not prescriptions, not books, not gurus, but actually insight ends suffering. And so I think for many people, there's a very valid question that arises of how do we come to insight? On one level, we can say that everything that we do here is in the service of deepening and understanding. That everything we do here is in the service of deepening in wisdom. By cultivating calmness, we are very carefully cultivating an inner environment that is receptive to understanding. By cultivating aloneness, we're cultivating that willingness to be without so much of the armor in our lives. By cultivating attention, we are cultivating our willingness to be present with all things, without prejudice and without preference. There is also, so there is much in terms of doing that is actually part of developing insight. You know, much that we do here, it's not like we're powerless, you know, we make choices in our lives. There is much in terms of developing insight that is born of our dedication, born of our effort, born of our attentiveness. But there is also, I think, a quality of mystery in the development of insight. You know, I think calmness allows us to be still rather than busy. This is a very important revelation. Awareness allows us to see the unfoldment of the dance. We see that as the object arises, so does the subject. That as long as the object is held on to in any way, the subject stays around. As long as the subject is held on to, there is a world of objects and find the I alone. You will not find it. Try and find the I alone. It cannot be found. It is always, I think, I want, I don't want, I am, I need, I don't need, I want to get rid of, I hear, I listen, I believe. It is always I and an object. The very stillness of meditation, the very stillness of being, allows us to see this dance without ever feeling that we need to get rid of this dance. In itself, this dance is actually quite transparent. It's not a problem. The problem lies, of course, in the grasping. Or the endless kind of cycles of birth and death of becoming within our consciousness are the cycles that are born of grasping. Grasping binds together the subject and the object. There is no freedom in that bondage. There is no freedom as long as the subject and object are bound together for grasping. Everything we actually do in meditation is in order to loosen the hold of clinging. You see that? You know, every time we breathe, and pay attention to our breathing. This is actually an exercise in letting go. Every time we return to our breath from a thought, from a feeling, from a mind state, this is the practice of letting go. We are learning how to let things be. We are simply learning how to let things be. You know, there's much more to developing attention. You know, when we suggest you come back to your breathing or be with one thing at a time, it is because this is learning the art of letting go, of letting things be, of not always feeling, you know, I must fix this and get like this and become like this and get rid of this. The art of letting things be, 
of letting this whole dance just arise and pass. And you see, when you do let things be, it does arise and pass. It really does arise and pass. No matter how charged the thought, you know, no matter how potent the memory, no matter how attractive the fantasy, if we just see it, allow it to be, come back to our breathing, be present in this moment, it passes, it doesn't linger. We see the whole world of subject and object arising and passing in a most awesome, logical way. We don't have to do anything with it. We don't actually have to do anything with it. Well, of course, it's rather helpful to kind of be awake to this quality of seeing, this depth of awareness which is actually enfolding that whole dance. But you certainly don't have to do anything with it in terms of making it better, you know, making it different, fixing it in some way. It is enough just to see. In a way, it would be um, a mistake to say that there is a direct link between attentiveness and insight, or between calmness and understanding, but to really see the ways in which almost it's like cultivating a piece of ground, cultivating a field. You know, we are making it, cultivating it, so it is receptive to these seeds of understanding that already lie within us. And in the deepening of insight, the very deepening of insight is in itself liberating. You know, not holding is actually liberating. Learning how to be present in the presence of all things. Learning simply to be awake in the presence of all things. May all beings live with serenity. May all beings live with equanimity. May all beings live with wisdom. If we could have just a couple of minutes quietly together and then have a walking. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.